let's get started. I'm missing the uh, MLB All Star Game, so <laughs> fired up, ladies and gentlemen. Caesar is home. I'm Kit Garrison. I'm Brian Gill. And I'm Richard Barden. And this is Mad uh, About Movies. Da, 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 da. You sound insane. Do you realize that? Oh, yeah. The whole world got crazy. Seriously? It's showtime. Mad About Movies is your go-to podcast for all things cinema. Every week, we talk movie news, movie rumors, and movie rumblings, and break down a chosen movie of the week. But don't worry if you haven't seen that particular film, because we will warn you before we go into spoilers. And please stay tuned till the end for weekly recommends in which each of us suggests something you need to check out ASAP. And remember, you can find all our episodes online at madaboutmoviespodcast.com. Brian, this week's chosen movie of the week is what? This week we're going to be talking about Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. I know why you're scared. It took us four years fighting that virus. But we are survivors. It was a virus created by scientists in a lab. You can't blame the apes. Who the hell else am I going to blame? Dawn of the Rise of the Planet of the Battle for the Apes. So this was this was my second most anticipated film of the year. Ooh. Or of the summer, actually. Second most Behind anticipated. Tammy. Behind Tammy. Okay. And uh, Tammy let me down, believe it or not. <laughs> uh, how many more? Not enough falling down. Not Nine enough. more falling down. <laughs> Question. How many more shows can we start off with Tammy Talk this uh, year? Probably through the rest of the summer. Could I we make guess. it a record? <laughs> Surely no other podcasts have started three weeks in a row with Tammy Talk. Yeah. There's... There's no way. She's got a long way to go to replace Now You See Me anyway, so it's it's fine. Which do you think we've mentioned more on this podcast, Star Wars or Now You See Me? Ooh. That's a project for a <laughs> listener. That somebody is a project. Go back, listen to all of our uh, podcasts and tell us which one we've mentioned more. If By some, name. We, we have to have said Star Wars or Now You See Me. If somebody does that, I have a little bonus episode that I will post. Ooh. On behalf of the listener, and I will mention the listener in the description of the episode. It was mine and Brian's top ten of 2012, I believe. Oh yeah, on the radio. Yeah, which is a three-hour podcast. <laughs> so I I remember that because uh, we played music for the first, you know, like every ten minutes or fifteen minutes, the first hour, and then the last two hours we never took a commercial break or played music. We just talked the whole time. Yeah, once we we were doing honorable mentions, and yeah, it, after honorable mentions, we took a couple breaks or in between them, and right. then when we got into top tens, it was just like a debate for two yeah. and a half hours. Yeah. Surely the FCC was knocking down the door, but we were in the <laughs> other room. Sorry, guys, Sorry. but I seriously will do that. Um, if you go back, listeners, and you can tell us which movie has been has been mentioned more times, Star Wars or Now You See Me, and you can reference each episode it's mentioned, uh, we'll post that episode. So, uh, so look forward to that and uh, take that challenge uh, if you if you dare. So yeah, so this was my second most anticipated of the summer behind Guardians, which is a few weeks away still. So it will be fun to talk about this one. Really hyped up, in my opinion. I'm not sure if you guys were as hyped uh, on seeing it as I was, but I'm interested to hear your thoughts a little bit later. There is a few things I want to discuss before we before we talk Dawn of the Apes. Of the Rise. Dawn of the Rise of the Apes. Which one was this one? Dawn. 
that that's the first thing I was going to mention in our review. This one should have been Rise. Yeah, I agree. And the other one should have been Dawn. It makes no sense at all. Maybe they didn't know that they were going to make a Dawn. Yeah, that's so probably Maybe this is a prequel. Dun, dun, dun. No, just, <laughs> I hope not. That's a pretty bad prequel if it is. <laughs> but, but before we... Before we dive into Dawn of the Planet of the Apes talk, guys, uh, let's talk a little bit of movie news. Movie news. Yes! Rumors and rumbling. That's awesome. Let the filibustering begin. A few things I want to mention before we uh, talk a little bit of American Treasures, guys, which is something yeah. we haven't done in, in quite some time and is a favorite segment of mine. There's a little bit of news regarding Saturday Night Live. I know Richard and I had a chance to talk at length about Saturday Night Live in our... Uh, a Million Ways to Die in the West episode, which made each of us contemplate the entire state of comedy in general. <laughs> so so go and refer to that episode if you want a more in-depth conversation. But a little bit of news has broken, actually today, regarding uh, cast changes at Saturday Night Live. And uh, Brian, do you want to break the news here? Yeah, so yesterday, uh, Mr. Brooks Whelan, or Whelan, I don't, I don't know how you say it, but uh, announced on Twitter that he had been cut from the Saturday Night Live cast. He was one of the newcomers that came to the show last year. Um, he was the, the tall guy that really didn't get to do much, but he, he had one bit that Richard and I especially really liked. He showed off, it was on Weekend Update, and he showed off his tattoos and just talked about what an idiot he was to get these various tattoos. Um, very... Very uh, smart, I thought very authentic piece of comedy. And then we really didn't see him much for the rest of the season. And, and now he's gone. So that's – I was a little bummed about that. I thought he was pretty good. Um, and then today, who – what's the name of the other two that they cut? They cut uh, Noel uh, – Wells. Wells. And then and I don't then know. John Milleheiser or something like that. Sure. You know, anyone that builds their comedy career around a John Cryer impression is uh, – it's, it's going to be tough to make a comedy career off of that, I think, right? Because I mean, we're not—we don't even understand why John Cryer is famous, much less someone right. that does an impression of John Cryer. We don't—we right. don't need—we don't even need the original. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> John Cryer's a comedian. What? Yeah. <laughs> <He's> a, <laughs> yeah. Wow. So yeah, I don't know. And then and then the more I saw of of Mr. Milhauser, Milheiser, whatever his name is, he kind of just was John Cryer, like even yeah. in other sketches. So I was like, is this really even an impression? We don't need two of you. Yeah. I, I'm going to be 100% honest with this, and I'm not joking. I, I saw the announcement. I clicked the, um, I think, Variety link or whatever, who broke the story. I'm not, I'm not sure. I, I saw the pictures of the cast members who were let go. I've never seen John Milheiser in my life, and I've seen every <laughs> episode of Saturday Night Live, so <laughs> that's probably not too good um, if, if I've seen every episode and I have no idea who you are. You probably don't really stick out, so... Wow. You know what? I agree. I think Brooks Whelan had potential and, and Noelle Wells, there was a spot for her, I think. Yeah, I agree. But you know, there's, there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes at SNL. I've heard in, in multiple interviews with that. I've heard with people like Jimmy Fallon, Tina Fey, that it's all about, um, it's all about being hungry behind the scenes and writing your own sketches and doing sketches for, for weekend update and stuff like that. I think that's the reason Vanessa Bayer has stayed around so long, mm -hmm. and especially Kate McKinnon. They've done mm -hmm. their fair share of those weekend update bits. And you just don't know behind the scenes what really happened. It might be that these people aren't just don't care behind the scenes. They, or just they, you know, weren't a fit. They're just you know, there. It's, yeah. it's a political place. So, I mean, sure. 
like with any job, just not a fit. I mean, that, that happens. Uh, but yeah, wish him all the best, except for Milheiser. We wish him horrible things. <laughs> no, but uh, that's tough. But a lot of people have gotten fired from that show and, and gone on to be enormously successful. True. Uh, Robert Downey Jr., Sarah Silverman, a few others to name a few. Uh, Jenny Slate. You can you can go on. It, it is not a career killer to get fired from that right. show. And, and not working on that show does not mean... We've seen the end of Brooks Whelan or Noah Wells, or we we have seen the end of John Milsner. He's he he'll never work yeah. again. If I, I don't know, he he it. might replace John Cryer on two and a half. Yeah. At some point That's true. They should hold just that like over. Slide him in and pretend like it's John. They Cryer. should hold that over Cryer's head because those people make crazy money. <laughs> Yeah, on that stupid show, and they could yeah. just be like, "Hey, we got this guy from SNL." Yeah, that's that would be very NBA free agency to be like, "Look, <laughs> we can. G- you're making fifteen million dollars this year. We can get seventy five percent of what you do for eight million. Yeah. So we're just gonna do that instead. Yep. That you know, we could we could see that happen. Yeah, I'd, I'd be all right with that. Warren that Michaels. might make me tune into an episode of Two and a Half Men just to see like if they could pull it <laughs> off. Don't don't go crazy. Yeah, okay, I, I take it back. <laughs> I, I regret my decisions. Please don't please don't take me up on that, Chuck Lorre. Surprisingly, Mike O'Brien still a member of the yeah. cast. Of Se- yeah, he's, but he's been writing there for yeah. has he? Okay, he's yeah. got roots there at least. Brooke Whelan is a guy that I think you could see pop up as like the sidekick on a NBC sitcom yes. in the spring or something like that, and I think he could be a good fit in that capacity. Yeah, he'll have a couple of Brooklyn Nine Nine cameos, and yeah. and he'll work his way into the yeah. into comedy. There's a few. Uh, what's her name? Casey Wilson had the Happy Ending Show, mm-hmm. and now she's got another show on NBC. And uh, what's her name was on Trophy Wife? Michaela Watkins, right? Yeah, yeah. And so I mean, yeah. There's always sitcom work. Yeah, apparently that Jenny Slate movie, Obvious Child, is fantastic. I haven't seen yeah, it. I've heard that yep. too. But it, she she rubs me the wrong way for some reason. Me and too. Yeah, it's not her fault. She's funny, but maybe it's just her character on Parks and Rec. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. But uh, so I have to like force myself to watch her stuff. And plus, I didn't really. I'll, I'll, I will uh, admit to something embarrassing here. I don't really get the whole Marcel the Shell thing. I don't really understand why that's so funny. And so maybe I'm just maybe her. She's just above my uh, my pay grade in understanding comedy. Always good to talk SNL news. And it's sad to see people go, but I'm sure we'll see them in the future, hopefully. Uh, it is a good sign that Lauren Michaels also realizes that last season was terrible. Yes. yes. Yeah. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. At least the staff and producers are not delusional. Like, I think that was a good season. Like, no, it was a bad, <laughs> which happens, right? But uh, it's good to know they at least know it. They've got to know somehow. They've got to look at, you know, uh, DVR ratings. And and online hits for videos. Surely, surely it's the lowest it's been in years. I mean, I'll be I would be very surprised. I don't know the ratings, but I'd be very surprised if it was if this year was as competitive as years past. People don't say let's go home and watch SNL anymore like they they used to on a Saturday night. I just don't hear people talk about it in the capacity that I used to. And, and they're in a valley right now, but you know I think they'll get out of it. Yeah. And and it's good to see Kate McKinnon get an Emmy nomination, by the way. Yeah, I mean that's the nature of the show. You're gonna go up and down. That's just how it that's how it goes. That's how it's gone for the entire run of the show. So in two years it'll be strong again and it'll be it'll be fine. It's just they're they're in a bad they're just in a place now where they don't have a star and so that's it's difficult to find your footing when you don't have somebody that you can plug into any bit and say, Okay, just go be Will Farrell and that'll save this this whole yeah. thing. Sure. Colin Yost needs to go, though. That guy's terrible. He does need to go. It needs to just be, I don't even know. Weekend Update needs a reset. 
Uh, yeah, agree. I, I don't agree. like either of them on there. Yeah, I was gonna say it should just be the girl, but then I remembered it was Cecily Strong. He's like, she can't do that by herself. No, yeah, that, that's yeah. not gonna she's work. She's not good on update. I don't think she's good in sketches. I I don't have a problem with her as a comedian. I just ugh. her updates weak to me. It always seems like they're laughing at their own jokes and no one else is. Yeah, I agree. I t- I totally agree. And hopefully they that Lauren had a a meeting with them after the season and was like, listen, somebody needs to step up next year yeah. because. Chances are they're not going to get somebody off the street that's just going to take over and be a star. I mean, hopefully that happens. Until they cast you, us three. Until right. until Lauren listens to the Mad About Movies podcast, that is. Yeah. And then <laughs> my phone, our phones will Do ring. Do you like Owen Wilson and or Dirk <laughs> Nowitzki impressions? <laughs> yeah, those will be useful. We could go up there and riff for 20 minutes on Now You See Me if that's... <laughs> would, that be, would that be good for you? If that's that considered help? sketch comedy, we can... We can do that for sure. But yeah, hopefully he said something, and hopefully somebody at SNL will step up and do something. I think Abby Elliott just mm. – I mean, not Abby Elliott, Kate McKinnon. I think Kate McKinnon just carries the show, really. Um, <laughs> Please don't ever mention Abby Hopefully Elliott. they bring Abby <laughs> Elliott back, though. Shut up. I mean, oh, second chance. Sure. Everyone needs a second chance, guys. Oh, I don't know <laughs> that they've ever – <laughs> Oh man, yeah. I don't know that they've ever had a a less funny cast member than uh, Abby Elliott. Might be a really nice person, but the only She's reason hot. she was on that show is because of Chris Elliott. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Who wasn't even like good on that show? Right? Yeah, it was like a, show, yeah, it, it, yeah. It was it was it like making hired- up for cutting him. <laughs> Chris Elliott, who is only relevant because he shows up on Letterman yeah. every two years. He was always great at Letterman. That's yeah. why they they hired him from that. He was yeah. like most famous Letterman performer, you know, in the throughout the eighties and early nineties. Yeah, and plus cap and boy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> can't forget about that. No, I was, no I was saving that for our cap and boy episode, but it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a great idea for an episode. <laughs> it is. I was going to go with Bushwhack starring Daniel Stern, but mm. cap and boy, pretty good. They're both there. strong. <laughs> pretty strong. Very we strong. Do a whole Daniel Stern week. <laughs> We should like Shark Week. <laughs> I um I purchased Rookie of the Year finally oh. a physical oh. copy the other day. Fantastic! Finally, purchase. how much did you pay for it? Oh, I don't even remember. Blu-ray, I assume. No, and oh, it wasn't the Blu-ray. Yeah, they don't oh, have it on Blu-ray. I don't think Trust they have me, it. Yeah. I've looked. Yeah, yeah, I looked. What about as well. Little Big League? Is Little Big League? On I Bru- think that is on Blu-ray. Like I feel like I've I saw that recently because that's oh. it's 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 twenty year re- or uh, anniversary. They did a big deal at uh, in Minnesota this year, this summer, or they're oh, planning really? one or something. Yeah, yeah. Jonah Carey on his podcast had the the kid who uh, I don't remember the guy's name anymore, but the the main character. Had him on his podcast a couple of months ago, and he was talking about the reunion headed their way. Remember in the mid-90s when it was just a marathon of movies about kids playing baseball? Like, yeah. Or coaching baseball. Yep. <laughs> it was really random and weird. I just remembered. <laughs> and Little Big League and Angels in the Outfield as well and Rookie yep. of the Year. Yep. All in about a year span. Sandlot. And the yes. Sandlot. You're right. Yep. But I just wanted to let y'all know that I did purchase Rookie of the Year finally, so Good. we can do our Rookie of the Year episode. I'm, I'm Ken, can you give us a little bit? Can you give us a little bit of Brigma? Little Brigma? Uh, yeah, I can. It's your best. Okay. Um, <laughs> add this to our SNL tryout. Add this if you ever want me. If you ever need a Daniel Stern as Brigma uh, impersonation, right? Prepare to be. I'm so excited. Get ready for Hold on. Kent and I. 
our every minute of high school when we were born in class. <laughs> we would just do rigma impressions back and forth. But Kent's is better than mine. So go ahead. Okay, here we go. <laughs> I got I got to look up the exact phrasing. So I... <laughs> your your life's about to change. <laughs> Baseball's about the three R's: readiness, recuperation, and conditioning. <laughs> Gotta have the seeds in your mouth when you do when you do impersonation. Almost forgot my lucky seeds. <laughs> Classic. It uh, is. He's an unbelievable character. I yeah. sent you guys a picture of of Daniel Stern. Yes. last yes. week. Yeah, I printed it out, posted <laughs> in my cubicle. Why did he go away for ten years? I don't know. He didn't really go away. He just went behind the scenes. He's producing yeah. a bunch of stuff and a bunch of television shows and and miniseries and things like that. But I'm I don't know why. Celtic Pride didn't help too much. Didn't make him. He didn't feel great after Celtic Pride. Well, at least Damon Wayne's got a uh, <laughs> a sitcom after that. I mean, mm. Daniel. So Stern's... did Dan Aykroyd. He got Soul Man after that. So uh, things are going good. Gosh, I don't know. I that might have been before that, honestly. But who cares? <laughs> You're right. I just wanted to say. I just wanted to say to the listener: Google Daniel Stern 2014 <laughs> and click images and prepare to be amazed. Uh, what American treasure. <laughs> Give him the Uh-oh. cheese, Henry. The high, <laughs> stinky cheese. The best scene in that movie, and we will probably do an episode on this. I'm, I'm not joking. <laughs> yeah. The best scene in the movie is when he's doing BP, batting practice. Oh, yeah. Yes. Keep that in his head. There's rarely – there's <laughs> – argument that th- there's not better physical comedy than that one scene I've, uh, that I've seen. I mean, not to bring up Tammy again, but... Oh, you know. yeah, that's, that's true. You're right. Alright, that's enough, guys. Uh, we're we're uh, annoying the listener. Yeah, we are. Sorry, Jeff. <laughs> uh, let's move on and talk American Treasures. <laughs> For the listener who is not familiar with this segment, it's one that we like to visit every month. Usually the first episode of each month. Last week was a down week with Earth to Echo. We felt like we should save this segment for, for the Dawn of the Planet of the Eights episode. So the, so the deal is, these are people that we have voted in to our little Hall of Fame. We like to call American Treasures. These people define what is great about American cinema. Most of them have some sort of comedic background or I've made a cameo in some sort of comedic film, although not all of them have. And uh, there are three categories here. There is American Treasures, North American Treasures, which are our friends from up north in Canada, as well as Public Figures, which are people that maybe are not actors, but have made a significant contribution uh, to American pop culture. Yeah. So, guys, prepare. Prepare your nominees. And the way this works is two out of the three of us have to vote yes. Yes. And that person gets in. If two of us vote no, that person automatically is not included, no matter no matter what the the third person's opinion is, no matter how hard they fight, they can't right. they can't make it into American Treasure. It has to be a, a a majority decision. And they have to have been in the public eye for what do we say? They've got to be either fifty years old or in the public eye for twenty five years or something like Correct. that. Sure. Yeah. Right. And the most important qualification, sense of humor about oneself. Yes. So without further ado, I will ask you first, Brian Gill, American Treasure. 
Yeah. Okay. So it's uh, it's it's summer. That's baseball time in America, obviously. And uh, in a couple of weeks, MLB TV is going to release a documentary on this person that I'm about to nominate. And so I feel like it's it's high time that somebody brought Mr. Bob Euchre to the table. Oh yeah, that a boys. Good one, Bob Euchre. And here here's my argument. Um, well, I, I really don't even feel like I have to make an argument. He's the best. He's the greatest PA guy, or excuse me, the the best broadcaster ever. Everybody says Vince Scully, and Vince Scully is technically fantastic. Bob Euchre is the guy you want to listen to. He's amazing, hilarious, has an incredible sense of humor about himself, did did uh, the Carson show many, many times back in the day. As a baseball um, announcer. Think about yeah, that. As a baseball announcer. It's fantastic. If you've not if you've never seen his stuff on Carson, you you need to go YouTube it because it's it is yes. amazing. Some of the stories that he told, A, could not be told on television today, <laughs> but B are just they will have you rolling. Don't watch it at work or something because you you will lose the rest of your day. It, you, your productivity will go down the tubes. Um, he's amazing, but, uh, a buddy and I were having this conversation about him texting back and forth about how great he is and wondering if the next generation knows who Bob Euchre is. So we both work with younger, with kids who are now in high school and heading off to college and stuff. So we texted some of those kids to ask if they knew who Bob Euchre was and they had no idea. So, uh, I feel like this would help the case of Bob Euchre, like make sure that the next generation and, and like my kids generations know who Bob Euchre is and appreciate his greatness. So, uh, Bob Euchre, American treasure nominee. Well, Richard thoughts. 100% endorsed. And he's been in a movie. Obviously he has incredible work in, uh, the major league films as the announcer in those ball eight, ball four, ball eight, (laughs) ball 12. Hold this for me. I'm, in the bag, <laughs> um, but uh, this is a baseball podcast tonight. Yeah, by it the has way. been. It yeah. has been. It is. We're taping this during the All Star Game, so it's fitting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're all just baseball diehards, <laughs> big Yankee fans, all of us. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I wholeheartedly support this. He's one of the funniest people ever. Regardless if you don't care about baseball at yes. all, Bob Euchre is the man. And uh, he's he is one of these people that is definitively American. I don't think yes. that you could you could make him in another country. Totally. And uh, for that reason alone, he is an American treasure. Kent, would you have voted otherwise? I would Not have voted I yes. I mean, okay. the guys the guy's nickname is Mister Baseball. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, what's more American than that? Yeah. Right there. So he's fantastic. So he's a unanimous selection. Unanimous selection. Excuse me. Yeah, That's and awesome. unanimous as well. Yeah, and unanimous. I'm having trouble today, guys. Sorry. <laughs> You're drunk like you Euchre during the broadcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 80 years old. I think um, still doing Brewers games. Yeah, exactly. He does like half the games each year. I think something like yeah. that. Doesn't do road trips maybe anymore. Something, yeah, something of that nice. nature. But uh, and and is recovering. Like a couple of years ago, it seemed like not doing so great. But uh, yeah. it seems like he's rallied. So that's that's great. We need him. We need him around for another twenty or forty years. He's quite old. Vince Scully yeah. is six years older and still doing mm. it. So pretty wow. impressive. Yep. But but Bob Euchre, oldest member of the American Treasure Hall of Fame. Wow. As of this moment. Well, we did have American treasure Ruth Bader Ginsburg. but uh, <laughs> That is true. <laughs> okay, Richard, uh, American treasure. Yeah, so we talked about this gentleman a few weeks ago on the podcast on a throwback episode. We also have this gentleman's former comedy partner as an American treasure. And so I think it's about time, high time, uh, that we uh, – 
induct American treasure Michael Keaton? Yeah. Ooh. I almost went with that one, but I thought I would leave it for you. Uh, I guess I'll I'll give my thoughts here real quick. We have another Hall of Fame that we haven't mentioned on the podcast, which well, is called... This one's still in the works. It's still in the works. We haven't officially brought it to the podcast yet, so so stay tuned for it. But it's called the O'Malley's, <laughs> named after the one and only Mike, Mike O'Malley of Guts fame. Obviously. But these Explain people... Explain the O'Malley's, yeah. These people are American treasure-ish, but let's say that over the past 10, 15 years, they just haven't done anything. Or ever, or maybe ever. Career, yeah. They don't just have never a got that maybe, break. Yeah, maybe they're American Treasure quality people, but they don't have the American Treasure resume. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I could vote Michael Keaton as as an O'Malley just just for the fact uh, over the past however many years he hasn't done anything uh, really. History would not agree with me um, on on that point, but. I have a feeling this year he's going to storm back onto the scene with Birdman. So I feel like yeah. this is a premature uh, vote for Michael Keaton. But having said that, this is an inevitable vote for Michael Keaton. He will be yeah. into the Hall of Fame this year, uh, if not uh, our next vote. So my vote is yes. An absolutely fantastic actor. Like I said, hasn't done great stuff in the past uh, year. We've seen him already twice this year with RoboCop and Need for Speed which was not, not his best work at all. I mean, Need for Speed was more, more of his style. But I would like to see him do more stuff. Apparently, they're doing a Beetlejuice sequel, so we'll get to see him return to that <laughs> role, um, which um, is one of his more famous roles. But just an incredibly versatile actor. I think he has a sense of humor about oneself. That would be my only hesitation, because I, he doesn't go on talk shows much. He's not in the public eye very much at all. His bits on Letterman are always pretty classic. Okay. So, Brian, what are your thoughts on this? Um, pros and cons, maybe. Yeah, you're right, Kent. The, we don't know just a whole lot about Michael Keaton as far as like his sense of humor about himself because he's not uh, so much in the public eye as some of these other people. Um, but I think he's got. I think he's got a great resume. I, uh, his his time away was spent, you know, wisely. I feel like he didn't do a bunch of crappy movies beyond like Jack Frost or something like that. Oh, um, so that. Great. That helps. <laughs> that helps his cause for me. But oh, I forgot about hey, Jack Frost. That quick, might negate it. That might negate real it. Real quick, real <laughs> quick. This is an important moment for history. Jack Frost, young Richard Barton in the theater, first movie I ever walked out of. Whoa! Wow. Started a trend. <laughs> That's incredible. That's awesome. But for me, the conversation starts and ends at was he Batman? Yes. Okay. Well, then we're all right with that. Like, okay, uh, he's got my vote. No question. Third Batman inducted into the American Treasure Hall of Fame. Previous inductees include George Clooney and what the one and only Val Kilmer, who has made his way into all of our hearts, an absolute American treasure. (laughs) So, wow, two for two so far tonight, fellas. Big night. Big night. I'm going to go with a public figure. I know, Brian, you brought a public figure to the table, Richard, an actor. Uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go public figure here. Arguably, the greatest American director has captivated audiences worldwide for his entire directorial uh, career. Uh, humanitarian, somebody who 
is looked Hold on, up. I thought Louis Letier was French. I didn't know. He, he is. He wait. Oh, he's okay, French. Okay. okay, never mind. Uh, I'm trying to go with an actor. Paul W. S. Anderson no. was American or not? So this 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 director has just has captivated audiences worldwide his whole career. Um, every movie he has has been successful, pretty much, except for a few. American Treasure. Steven Spielberg. Who? No. Yes. Of course. <laughs> yes. Yes. Make yeah, your case just just for okay. the record. My case is um, he directed Jurassic Park and Raiders of the Lost Ark and Jaws. Uh, what, are those pornos or? <laughs> well, I'm unfamiliar. Uh, <laughs> what more do I need to say? Um, <laughs> he has a great sense of humor about himself. He's one of the most enjoyable people to listen to talk. I don't know if you've seen interviews with him or. Just him talking about his own filmography is fantastic. Um, he always does special features on his on his movies, and just him talking about the movies that he makes and and what inspired him to make the movies. He really does make movies that uh, for a reason that are that mean something to him. He doesn't just make movies to make money, which is a huge thing in Hollywood nowadays. An absolute uh, American treasure in in all forms of the word. Like I said, could be arguably the. Um, he is arguably the greatest American director and sense of humor about himself. He made a little cameo in Paul in which Paul is feeding him info about aliens. Um, like they eat Reese's pieces. And of course, I forgot he, about that. He used that in, in ET where ET was obsessed with Reese's pieces. So, and he played himself obviously a, a very, he can laugh at himself in that regard, which is a, a critical component of, of American treasure. Yeah, he played himself on uh, Austin Powers. You're he right. He directed, he was, that he directed the, the fake movie, the fake Austin yeah. movie. Yeah. But just an absolute American treasure, and I can't think of any reason for him not to be in. Brian, what are your thoughts that he shouldn't be in, if, if you have any of those thoughts? When you think of – when I think of movies, I think of – I think of Star Wars probably first – and after that, honestly, Steven Spielberg is probably the first name that comes to my mind. Um, that there are in a few weeks, we're going to do a for our hundredth episode, we're going to do a top ten favorite movies of all time. And so I've been kind of going through and making my list and working on that sort of thing because I I have to be very research centric about it and whatnot. Uh, and I could probably put five different Spielberg movies in my top 10, honestly. Um, so he is, he to me is cinema in, in a lot of ways. So that's, this is a, this is a no brainer for sure. We are in summer. I felt like it was an applicable nominee. Uh, he, he pretty much invented the blockbuster. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of people say, we'll say star Wars was the first real blockbuster, but jaws was before that. Jaws. Yeah. And, and really did kick off uh, the blockbuster genre. But I'm in the same boat as you, Brian. I'm I'm narrowing down my top ten list. It's one of the hardest. And it's a personal top ten, uh, not best movies of all time. Right. It's, it's our right. favorite ten movies. It's extremely hard. Uh, it is. There are there are. I could do a top ten of of Spielberg only, and yeah, and make a legit argument why these are my top ten of all time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in my eyes, so yeah, it's. He's just a fantastic person. Like I said, I could go. There's an inside the actor studio or something about with with Spielberg on there, 
And anything, just YouTube, like long-form Spielberg commentary or, or interviews, just a fascinating human being. And just look, I've heard just a genuine, fantastic person um, in, in all aspects. He, he hired J.J. Abrams when he was um, just starting out to go back and, and restore some of his Super 8 movies, like when J.J. When Abrams was just a kid. So he he brought up J.J. Abrams into uh, into movies, gave him advice on on what to how to how to become a great director, and, and look at J.J. now one of the one of the biggest American directors, and he's directing the the next Star Wars film. So I would say um, that's that's three yeses. Richard, was that a yes for you for Spielberg? Yes, I'm 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 on board. That's one where it's kind of like, wow, what have we been doing this whole time? Yeah, that is that is true. And he's he's another inevitable one, as long just like Michael Keaton. It, it's almost embarrassing that we put Roman Polanski in first, <laughs> but almost, almost, almost not em- quite, almost embarrassing. Okay, guys. Well, that about wraps up our American Treasure segment for this month. If you are a listener and you have a person you would like to nominate for American Treasures, we are always welcome to those nominations. Uh, just send them our way at madaboutmoviespodcast.com and click contact and send them our way. We uh, we have gotten quite a few nominees for American Treasures. So, I mean, this is a segment that we do, like I said, every month. So we will try to allot time for any fan nominees. Um, would you like me to bring bring a fan nominee to the table? Yeah, tonight? let's do, from now on, let's do uh, one of each of us and then one fan nominee. This American Treasure comes to us courtesy of Todd McNeil. American actor has been uh, at the forefront of American pop culture uh, since he was... Just a young man. Haley Joel Osment? I don't think he's old enough. He has... Leif Garrett? Leif Garrett? He has conquered all aspects of pop culture, including television, music, and movies. Arguably one of the biggest movie stars of all time. American treasure... Will Smith? Oh. Thoughts, pros, and cons, guys, on Will Smith for American Treasures. Brian. This is a really tough one because, first of all, he's he is right on the edge of of what we would consider uh, acceptable as far as the time in the public eye. Ah, uh, uh, yeah, I, I just so I didn't think about that. So that's that's one thing. Ninety one was the first movie on his resume. Ninety three was made in America. So, or excuse me, ninety for Fresh Prince. So so twenty four years. Gosh, Fresh Prince is twenty four years old. That's crazy. Uh, and and forty six years old, I think something like that. Was he rapping before Fresh Prince? Yes, yes, okay. he was. That's okay. true. Okay, so we're, so he qualifies. All right, good good point there, uh, Kinto. Um, here's my thing. I love Will Smith. I've I've always been a huge Will Smith fan because I am a, a big fan of the popcorn blockbuster summer type movie. I think he's a very fine actor that he and he doesn't get credit for it. Um, some of the some of the work that he's done, even in Movies like I Am Legend, which totally gets thrown away because the special effects are terrible and it's uh, it's easily it's easy to disregard. He is really stinking good in that movie. Like from a performance standpoint, great in that movie, um, and and in a few other places as well. It is really hard for me to go in on whether or not he has a good sense of humor about himself. Just the same that it is for me. With, that's the same argument that I have with like Tom Cruise, who I also love. I'm totally interested to hear what you guys have to say on it because I, I don't. I feel like when Will Smith is 
jovial and happy in public and kind of has a good time when he's on the tonight show or whatever i feel i always feel like it is a very well put together act that he's doing and i i i don't ever feel like it is truly genuine uh funny make fun of myself have a good time sort of behavior so i'd love to hear what you guys have to say richard yeah i'm actually with you i i he's an exceptionally smart person and has really you know built an, an unbelievable career um but you're right it's always kind of calculated in a way Cruz is the same way and for some reason because i think Cruz's personal religious things are a little more uh i guess on the fringe uh people like kind of expect it and in a weird way accept it more i don't know it seems more like understood that yeah tom cruise is going to come out and have a very contrived tonight show appearance that's what he does right whereas with will smith you like you know there's more there (laughs) uh so yeah i'm kind of with you on that front but on the other hand i'm a huge fan as well i mean he's done the the resume cannot be argued with so uh this is a tough one and a lot for some reason i feel like it shouldn't be tough but it is (sighs) man I don't know how I'm going to vote yet. Ken, what do you think? You know what? Resume is a big part of this. It's a huge part of of a nomination for American Treasures. But even bigger part is personality. Great point, Brian. I just don't know if he has the – like Spielberg, like somebody like Spielberg, I don't know if you could go up to him on the street and be, hey, Will, huge fan of your work without him being like, all right, kid, leave me alone, you know? Something I think like you that. could, but I don't think he would be fun. <laughs> like, yeah, you're right. Right. I think he would be very respectful of you, if as long as, assuming you're respectful of him, and would would be thrilled to you know sign your autograph or what. Just to be, I think he would be very kind and gracious towards anybody. He he seems like a genuinely good person, honestly. But would you want to hang out with Will Smith? I don't. <laughs> I don't know. Honestly, yeah, like that's yeah. a tough. That's tough for me because again, I love. The stuff that he does. But even like to me, a great example is Anchorman 2 at the end when you have every cameo in the world. All these guys are showing up and Will Smith, it really felt kind of awkward with him yeah. in that that role. And because it was like I take myself very seriously. I don't know. It's man, this is a tough one. It's very tough. Richard, have you come to any conclusion? At this time that I'm willing to have this brought up again, I'm going to vote no. Not enough SNL type. Yeah, 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 you're right. Stuff. Is is there an opposite of an O'Malley? Like somebody yeah. who has the resume but just doesn't yeah, have the personality. It's called a pivot. It's called a pivot. Pivot. Will Smith is the first uh, inductee into the pivots. So great. I, I would have to agree. I would have to say no as well. He has the resume. Who knows? Maybe in a year he'll do something, and we'll just. We'll we'll think, wow, what an American treasure, you know, but yeah, we're going to get opportunities for that because he's got bad boys three and Hancock two in the work. So he's going to come in on the tonight show and whatnot and do bits. So maybe we'll get a better feel for where he's at on this, but I'm, I'm with you guys. Like I, this is really difficult for me because I love Will Smith, but I, I just can't, I can't put him in the same class as as a Steve Martin or a, or a Bill Murray or, or any of those guys. So sure. But I, I I'm with you, Richard. I'm willing to come back and, and revisit this yeah. down the road. I, and I sure. hope we do. Cause I yeah. want him to be an American treasure. Yeah. I just yeah. don't think the, it's there yet. And I don't think he's a pivot though either. No. So the listener, um, 
the listener Todd McNeil, if you have a reason or any other listeners have a reason why Will Smith should be an American treasure, other than his resume, feel free to send it our way and we can bring this up next time we talk American treasures. Hey, what's up, ma'am, fam? Kent here. And yes, if you're hearing from me, you know it's time to talk about Blue Apron. If you haven't tried out Blue Apron by now, what the heck are you even doing? Blue Apron is the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. They deliver fresh meals straight to your door. All the food is fresh. It's sourced from local farms. And there's no wasted ingredients. I've been a Blue Apron subscriber for a long time now. And they have still, to this day, never let me down. There's tons of variety. Some featured upcoming meals include summer vegetable and egg paninis, soy glazed pork and rice cakes, skillet vegetable chili with cheddar drop biscuits, holy crap, and garlic butter shrimp and corn with green bean salad. So take it from me. Try out Blue Apron now. Go to blueapron.com slash mad. That's blueapron.com slash mad. Get three meals on us for free. Nothing goes better with a movie than dinner. So check out Blue Apron, blueapron.com slash mad. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Hey, ma'am, fam, question for you. Do you own a small business or are you a boss? Are you looking to hire awesome people, but you just can't find somebody to fill that role? Let me tell you about ZipRecruiter.com. With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to 100 plus job sites all with one click. In fact, over 80% of jobs posted on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate in just 24 hours. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. That's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them. Right now, you can post your jobs for free on ZipRecruiter by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash mad. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash mad. One more time, try it for free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash mad. Thanks to ZipRecruiter for supporting this episode of the Mad About Movies podcast. So that does it for this week. But without further ado, guys, let's talk Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. War, it's not what you want. There must be another way. War has already begun. Okay. Like I said... Uh, like I said earlier, this was a, a very anticipated movie for me personally. Um, I was, I was, a, I was a fan of Rise of the Planet of the Apes more for the fact that it wasn't terrible uh, <laughs> than the fact that it was a good movie. I, I did go back and rewatch it before this, before this movie doesn't hold up nearly as well as I thought it would uh, at this point, in my opinion. The the CGI didn't look nearly as sharp as I had remembered it looking in the theater. And maybe that's a, a side effect of seeing it on a smaller screen than uh, I hadn't watched it in, in an, at least two years or so. Didn't hold up nearly as much. The James Franco factor in that really, really cheapens that film. If it was somebody with a little bit more ability dramatically. I think that that movie could have been a lot better. I think the material was there, but J- Franco basically mailed it in on that one more than he, he usually does, which is surprising. But so I was, I was a fan of that one. I, I thought that there was something they could build on 
with it. And so I was excited when I heard heard about Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. And I'm kind of conflicted on this one because spectacle, this had everything I wanted, um, spectacle-wise, scale-wise, um, special effects-wise. And I feel like it was lacking somewhat in the story. Um, the exposition, there was some bad exposition in it. Uh, I have issues with this film, but I can't recommend it enough. There were exhilarating moments in this movie. Um, and once again, I'm going off your general thoughts, and I'll, I'll save spoilers for a little bit later. But I will recommend this movie a lot. I was highly, highly impressed with this, the, the CGI. I think they've come worlds from where they were with the first film. And once again, I will save my my specific thoughts for a little bit later, but I want to get y'all's general thoughts on this before we get too deep into this convo. Brian, what are your, what are your thoughts on Dawn of the planet of the apes? It's a, it's definite an indefinite improvement on the first one. In my opinion, I still just don't, I don't love rise of the planet of the apes. I think it's, it's a fine movie. Um, but man, it's coming out of that movie. It was like, if you don't love this movie, then you are, yeah. You might as well just go and jump off a bridge. The fanboys for <laughs> Rise of the Planet of the Apes are vicious. Like they man, that's that's all they care about in the world is making sure that you also love Rise of the Planet of the Apes and I'm I'm kind of with you. I expected it to not be good and then when it was when it was decent, when it was enjoyable, when it was, you know, a a, a fun summer movie, um I I I appreciated that part of it. But I wasn't over the moon for it or anything like that. And I did, like you can, I just rewatched it before I went into Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. And I thought... It must be awful to you guys. Yeah, it's tough, dude. It's tough. <laughs> um, I, you know, I think the special effects in that first one are still very good. I think it holds up fine on that front. The writing for the first movie is is abysmal to me. Like, horror movie level. Uh, there's so much exposition that does not need to exist and yeah. and Jim's like when the pilot when the next door neighbor is like trying to beat up John Lithgow he starts yelling I am a pilot you wrecked my car how am I supposed to get to the airport now like oh man that's stuff like that is is brutal so visually it's very appealing the the battle on the bridge when they the apes are headed towards the redwoods and whatnot is very cool and lo- I think still looks great um, but as a as a whole, I think that movie is a B minus, and I'm honestly that that might be a little genuine generous. But I, I know so many people who think that's one of the best summer blockbusters of the last decade. So there's that. Uh, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes is much is much better in my opinion. It's a significant improvement on the first one. It and it gets better as it goes for me. I had a really hard time, and I I, I found myself throughout the movie. About halfway through, like not really so much even paying attention to the movie as trying to figure out why I can't connect with this franchise. And I, I honestly, I don't have a good answer for you because I love the 1968 Planet of the Apes. That was one of my favorite movies growing up. A friend and I, one of my, my shout out to my my good friend Kyle Chandler. We we used to watch all of those movies like on a marathon. We did that multiple times in high school when we weren't able to date girls, you know? Um, and so well, I, I have, I have a, yeah, I have a great love for this property. I just, I have a hard time getting into this world for, for whatever reason, 
Um, and and this Dawn of the Planet of the Apes didn't do much in the beginning to bring me into that. It was again very visually stunning. I really I enjoyed seeing it. I I thought about it more and more as I've been out, and I I would totally go back and see it again. I'm much more likely to to buy this or rent it a couple of times or something like that than I was for, for the previous film. Um, but there's just, I don't know. There's some kind of disconnect for me as far as like emotional investment in this franchise. Uh, and I guess I'll, I'll leave it at that, but I, I don't have a great, I don't have a great answer for that, which is very frustrating for me as an amateur film critic, but that's, so it'd be, yeah. so be it. Richard, first impressions. Sure, yeah. I did not care for the first movie and kind of more extreme version of what Brian's thinking. I didn't like this one as much either. I really liked the final act. I thought it was really fun and exhilarating and that bumped my grade up quite a bit from where it would have been without it. But as far as like the first two thirds of this movie were kind of slow to me and kind of boring for a summer movie. And uh, I, I didn't really connect to it. But uh, but there's there's definitely good stuff here. I'm more encouraged for like a third movie than I was for this movie after the last one, but it's still not the original Planet of the Apes goodness to me. But, you know, it's hard to... I don't know if I really like the original Planet of the Apes or I just like how campy it is. It's kind of hard to figure it out, but uh, but that's kind of where You're I'm talking about. about the Tim Burton one, right? The original? Yeah, Shh, no, the Wahlberg Spectacular. Oh, yeah. Oof, oof. That's what I thought. That's a great <laughs> a, a film. Brian, uh, there's <laughs> another one? There's one before that? I hate you both. I quit. <laughs> Continue, Richard. Sorry. No, that's about it. So you, you, that's uh, that's uh, that's all I got. It was it was an improvement from you know I won't give grades yet, but from a pretty low grade uh, to a pretty medium grade, and, uh, and that's that's still a pretty strong improvement, but still not. I, I will probably never watch it again. Wow, I will I will gladly watch this one again before I would watch Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Um, oh yeah, me too. This is <laughs> this feels like a different movie. It feels almost like a different franchise to me, other than the fact that Caesar is involved in it. Um, I see what they were going for in the first bit, the first act. I was actually more invested in the first act than I was in the second or third. So mm. maybe maybe opposite feelings as as you, Richard, and okay. and you, Brian. I don't know how you were. How you yeah. felt about the first act? How'd you feel about it? I liked it a lot. I I wasn't bored by it. I, I'd heard some people say that th- that they were before I went in. Um, I I kind of enjoyed the whole. It was, you know, you don't hear any dialogue. It's just monkeys, excuse me, apes bouncing around and signing to each other and stuff. I I thought that was it was a it was a bold choice. I don't know that it worked for me a hundred percent, but I I dug it. I was with it more until the human showed up. Honestly, the thing that killed me more than anything is I, I hate characters. I, I'm tired of these, these particular character tropes that don't need to exist in a movie. Yeah. And the, the, the guy's name is Kirk Acevedo, who is a, I've seen him very good in some other things. He's, he was on fringe for a couple of seasons. Um, he's been in some movies and he, he's, he's a pretty talented, he's a decent actor, but the character, he plays the, you know, the mechanic, the, uh, the, um, Oh, the water plant guy, Carver is his name on the list, if that helps, uh, who's very anti-ape and is just up in arms and I'm going to bring a gun in no matter what and this sort of thing. That character um, was, to put it blunt, like I, I 
I kind of wanted to check out as soon as I start seeing characters like that uh, pop into the movie. That took me wherever I was at the beginning with just the apes. When that character shows up and we get three or four or five lines of dialogue with him, I I I I, I had to fight the urge to check out for the remainder of of the film personally. I really liked this movie before there was an established antagonist. Mm-hmm. And the antagonist comes uh, midway through the film. I guess we can go into spoilers now because anything after the first act is kind of spoiler-ish. Sure. Yeah. Um, so spoilers now for, for Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Before Koba really rebels against against Caesar and the rest of the apes, that's when I started to check out on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it became very typical summer blockbuster for me. Before that... You didn't know who to root for. You didn't know who to root for the apes or the humans. It was sort of this battle of wits. And I really enjoyed that. I think at the beginning, it worked for me. It really, really worked for me, actually. I can see where they were influenced by other films, such as 2001, which if you haven't seen that, it's basically all all apes at the beginning of that. And the first line of dialogue that's spoken by the apes was quite effective, in my opinion. When when Caesar first speaks against sure. speaks out against the humans and says go, uh, and they they scares away the humans when they when they come across the the ape habitat that they have built for themselves in the redwoods, really effective, very scary. Uh, this movie was more horror than I had expected. Um, there were several moments, especially with Koba, that were frightening that that could give you nightmares if you're not into that type of stuff. Brian, you're not a horror movie guy. Did you find yourself scared at any moment? Or, you know, it was creepy a little bit, the way these apes interacted with each other. And this the human quality to the apes was was quite creepy, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I wasn't scared. The thing that gets me with horror movies is is uh, ghosts or <laughs> demons or stuff like that. That's the this, this type of thing I can't – I really can't handle. Or like The Purge where it's just like this is just really disturbing – um, but I, I went with a big group of friends and, and, uh, one of the girls in our group was, was, you know, very, I think very shaken with the whole thing. Like I'm going to have nightmares about apes riding horses with machine guns now. So, oh, absolutely. I, yeah. I, I, it, they did it. It was very effective in the, the CGI and the special effects and the way that they, uh, Koba is, a, I think is a very well-designed, uh, creature and, very effectively creepy, I think. Uh, to your point, Kent, I you know I wasn't personally. I'm going to go home and have nightmares or or be freaked out by this, but uh, they did a great job of making this to a larger point. But they they did a great job of making all of the apes have differences, so you could really tell the difference between uh, between them in a in a sea of of CGI apes. You could tell which one was which. I felt like shout out and to that, Judy Greer. As yeah, Caesar's I know, wife. right. Framway style. Very shut up. Very strange. Um but Koba is a great creature design and I I, I think that was uh was one of the better points. You're you're right, Kent. The it was very generic in the plot, but it, as far as the, the design of, of those of those apes of Koba and of Caesar and the rest of them, this is top notch on the on a visual from a visual perspective. It, and it's it really a very was, effective on that front. It was night and day from the first yeah, film. It looked good. It really was incredible. The fur on them looked real. I don't know if they 
wrapped Andy Serkis in fur and just had his face <laughs> covered in dots, you know? Because the fur looked – it was real. I, I mean it, there was nothing fake or animated about the fur of these creatures. That, that's that got to be the hardest thing to animate is hair, right? It's it's probably the hardest thing to get accurate. Maybe skin yeah. and hair are the top top two, and they nailed it. I mean it. this is – they can do anything now. This movie almost proves that, like like Jurassic Park again. Um, they can do any creature now with with CGI. But I was impressed by Circus in this. Andy Circus, uh, who plays Caesar, I think I'm I'm not sure if if it was better than than Rise uh, of the Apes, and certainly not his best work. I still feel like Gollum is going to be his masterpiece forever. I think the actor that played Koba was fantastic as well, Toby Kebbell. Yeah, he's not getting a lot of notoriety or attention uh, among critics or among fans, but I think he carried this movie far better than Circus carried it. There, there was too emotional with Caesar, in my opinion. They tried to pull too much sentimentality out of that, and the fact the fact that Jason Clark, who plays Malcolm, expendable character or expendable actor for that role, um, I, he didn't bring much of his own personality into that role. In my opinion, the fact that that character, Malcolm has a son, Alexander only, only has a son for the fact that, so Caesar can sympathize or he can sympathize with Caesar who also has a son, which yeah. I understand, but show me more action scenes. I don't need, um, I don't need all that in this, in this type of film. I don't need, all that sentiment. I don't know if that's just me personally. Did you feel that way at all? I feel like this movie had potential for more action than it had. Like there's a moment in particular where some of the apes are making their way towards San Francisco and the music swells and they're swinging on the was left of the golden gate bridge. And I felt like we were going to get a huge ambush sequence or something like that. And we got them just looking at a gun armory and Ooh, they have guns, and that was the end. It was, it was a perfect timing for an action scene, in my opinion, because it was back and forth forever about, we need to go fix this dam, we need to go attack the humans. And it was just a, a ton of back and forth, and I was let down by the lack of action. The only real action sequence is the third act, yeah. but I don't know if that... I was the only one that felt that way. I, I feel like I liked, I'm, right. I, I'm fine with the idea of we're going to make this uh, more story centric and focus on and build some relationships and character development and all that stuff. And to do, to try to do that with a bunch of CGI apes is, is very, very ambitious. And I appreciate the effort. I just didn't think it was a good script and I didn't think they did a good job with that. They forced the father son thing way too hard in my opinion um and just i don't know it it felt like we're gonna try to get really deep here with yeah. with all of this and it just it they missed on that mark and so on the one hand i give them credit for trying to do something like that um in a situation that generally we wouldn't see that happen at all with this kind of movie and certainly with this particular movie you know with with most of the characters are 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 apes um but I just I just felt like it failed. I just didn't feel like it worked on that front the way that they intended it to. And I've seen other people that it seems to have worked for them. And so, you know, maybe we're just being contrarian or, or whatever. But like I said, I, I'm great. If you want to try to do that sort of thing, that's fantastic. Go for it. Um, but if you don't pull it off, 
you do leave the audience kind of wanting more. And whereas like a Godzilla, people complain about the lack of action or the lack of Godzilla in Godzilla. But I felt like that built perfectly throughout the whole movie. Like the pacing on that was fantastic to me. This, I don't have an issue necessarily with pacing, but it does feel like they're holding back on action sequences in order to do other things. And when that doesn't quite pay off, it does leave you wanting more from from than what you're getting and i don't know that it ever completely made up for that even though that third act is is pretty spectacular from an action standpoint it feels like the rest of the movie took a hit for the third act as if the filmmaker said let's just make this third act the whole the climax of the film but you sacrifice opportunities for some great action some great little action set pieces in the middle of the film to Break up the pacing, like you said. That's what I feel. I totally agree with you about Godzilla because that had issues with pacing because they were breaking some of the action up. But at least we got some action in the first two-thirds of the movie. Yeah. For instance, the scene where they the apes sort of go to San Francisco and they're like, okay, we're going to go do this, guys. They, they show up in San Francisco and everybody's terrified. There's an army. There's thousands of apes on horses and with weapons. And they and Caesar goes to the front and says, "Never come back." And then they all leave. Yeah, <laughs> there, there could have been a little bit of a little set piece there. I mean, not a lot. I'm not asking for a big overdone thing. I just think it could have been it could have been broken up a little bit more with action, in my opinion. But the the final act goes forever. It feels like they they like I said they sacrificed all the action that they would have had in the first two thirds and, and put it all in the third act. And I'm not complaining about that. It was spectacular. I agree. But Richard, did you feel any of these feelings at all about it? I love that. The last act, I thought the visuals especially were spectacular. Um, and the kind of drama that kicked up, I really enjoyed. I mean, I understand the slow burn towards it. in The first two acts, I just, you know, during the process of watching the movie, I was kind of, you know, checking the watch and stuff, but I stuck it out. It was good enough to keep me to stay there. So that's, that's decent, right? That says a lot, but, uh, yeah, I thought, I thought, you know, just as a visual piece, this was pretty incredible. It might be the best of the summer visually. Godzilla is still high up there. In my opinion, I don't know yeah. why we are. So Transformers two, I mean, Transformers four, whatever it was. <laughs> <laughs> The human actors in this are really underrated, I think. Jason Clark is so good. Uh, that guy's going to get an good. Oscar at some point. I really wanted more Gary Oldman. I'm a huge Oldman fan, but I also felt like his character, we got these like brief glimpses into a cool character or a, a backstory. And maybe we don't need just the full backstory. The iPad thing with the pictures is maybe enough. But that was a very um, sobering moment in the movie that I felt like, brought a little bit of connection to the audience and then they completely went away from it. Carrie Russell is fantastic and she doesn't get used at all in the movie. So I, you know, that could have, I think maybe that could have helped at least in the, as far as making it uh, accessible to the audience on an emotional level beyond what's, and, and, and you could, I think you could easily counter that to, to, or pair that with the, what's, you're hoping to get at least from the emotional aspects of the apes because I think it was there. It just didn't. It just didn't hit for me. And it might. I don't know. Those putting those two together and working them at the same time might have worked a little better personally. I was a little surprised at the beginning, or 
towards the middle of the of the film when they kill off Caesar. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what is happening? And it took him a while to bring that issue back up. Like Caesar's not in a lot of this movie, which which surprised mm-hmm. me. And it was just something I didn't see coming. Did were you guys surprised by that at all? I I mean, it. you can get rid of Caesar, put him in a cage or something. I was I was surprised by that that they killed him off, really. Yeah, and, but it I, did make the Koba character that more menacing and creepy. Right. It was a good. It was a decent development for that character. I I kind of saw it coming. I don't know, twenty or thirty minutes out from from when that actually occurred. That just seemed like okay. That's the logical conclusion of where we're where we're going with this whole Koba rebellion. Not don't tell uh, Caesar about the guns and that sort of thing. That just seemed like something that was going to happen. So, and and it was an interesting choice. I don't know if it was the right choice or not, but you know, it was effective in what it, what the plot device that they were trying to create there. Um, I just again, I just didn't think the, the development around it was as strong as. A lot of other people. I mean, this movie is ninety-one percent fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, and fanboys, uh, you know, a couple of different Twitter feeds that I follow. It seems like everything that has been tweeted from their accounts has been somebody talking about how great Dawn of the Planet of the Apes is. And I don't know. I'm just not. I'm just not there. I think it's fine. I think it's a very. It's a solid summer movie. It sounds like I'm. I'm higher on it than than Richard is, but. Uh, I just don't think it's – I don't know. I don't feel like this is like an otherworldly, like life-changing sort of film like people are kind of making it out to be. I I see that. But you got to remember that Rotten Tomatoes is recommend or don't recommend. Yeah, totally. Like, I, I, I have a lot of issues with this movie, and I haven't even mentioned some of them, but I'll still recommend this for spectacle. Yeah, yeah I would too, but like – yeah, I don't know. There's plenty of movies that have come out this summer where it's like, really? You didn't you didn't think that that was at least worthy of a recommend? So to me, the fact that it's as high as it is uh, is symbol. And, and again, pair that with I don't know. There's two or three different Twitter feeds that I've muted this week because just because every single thing that's come out is a retweet of if you don't like Planet of the Apes, then just go you know what with yourself you know what i mean it's like whoa like let's it's not this is not like a life change this is not jurassic park you know or or something to that level that is one of the supreme best blockbusters of all time you see me yeah (laughs) right right (laughs) this um some of the issues i have mainly with exposition that i didn't really go into the first when they're establishing the characters, it's pretty bad. They first, the humans first see the apes or come across the apes and they get back in their Jeep uh, to drive back to their base. And they say, are you sure we didn't get infected? And Carrie Russell says, no, we're all genetically immune from the disease. And the other character, a character next to her says, yeah, she knows she is a doctor. Yeah. You know, you remember that? Yeah, you could have just left it at that first line. Like, like the first line is is applicable and and probably necessary to uh, why we can carry on here without being concerned, right? That we're gonna get infected by these apes. But the next line is is uh, not so great. And yeah. they say it as if they don't know that they are immune to it, as if they haven't figured that out already. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that everyone that survived that's in that little colony is immune to the whatever disease it is. Right. That's why they're the only survivors uh, in America. So, 
it, it just that was that stuck out as bad. There's another character that his only purpose is his name's Foster. His only purpose is exposition when they're sitting around a fire. Some pretty bad stuff comes out of him. Mm-hmm. And another issue I had, and this is small complaint, but I feel like the apes were a little bit too intelligent um, language-wise. There are a few words that they said, okay, you, you, you know the word go, but now you're talking about forgiveness. <laughs> um, forgiveness is something that humans don't even understand. You know, <laughs> most humans don't even get the concept of forgiveness. I understand the concept of forgiveness among apes, but the fact that they have a word for that. Did James Franco teach him forgiveness in the first film? I don't really <laughs> remember that. But it seemed like their language really accelerated at an unusual rate. They got extremely smart very fast, uh, language-wise, in the, in the movie, which, small complaint. Did you feel that way at all? Did any of the speaking of the apes bother uh, any of y'all? Yeah, I mean, I get it. It didn't bother me just because I suspended reality, I guess, yeah. even further. And I know that when this eventually gets to the 1968 Planet of the Apes, like they speak better than most humans at this point do. So that's fine. Um, I don't know. It didn't. But you're right. That's a definite. It, it advanced quite quickly, for sure. It did. And one little thing that I noticed an Easter egg opportunity here when they, first of all, we haven't even mentioned the fact that they go to build, to repair a dam, basically three people repairing a dam that has been destroyed and they have what, two days to do it. Um, I don't see how that's uh, scientifically possible at all, but Hey, I'm not a dam repair man. So I don't know. I don't know about that, but that seemed a little far fetched in my opinion, but an opportunity that for an Easter egg that, that um that I thought was an Easter egg, they turn on the, the, the power and they hear the wait by the band playing at a nearby gas station, seventy six gas station. They go to it on the display the signage there was, I guess, gas prices displayed there. There's a six and a seven. I was like, Oh, cool little homage to the original Planet of the Apes film. Nope. That <laughs> movie was in nineteen sixty eight. Yeah, and let's what? be honest. It should they should have been playing Brass Monkey if they're gonna if they're gonna <laughs> go that route. It should have been Brass Monkey. If it came on the radio. Come on. Did the did the wait come out in '67? Surely that was after that. Surely yeah, that was, was 1970s. Yeah, '70s. I sure. thought that maybe that would have a significance in the film. No, just probably just a song that the director Matt Reeves liked and and threw it in the film. I thought it pulled into Nazareth. I was thinking about the. The lyrics and stuff. Like, what significance does this song have to this? I couldn't think of any significance. But if you know, listeners, uh, the significance of that song, feel free to to let us know. But any uh, favorite parts of this movie, Brian? Just the, the whole third act. I, I, it's a very impressive third act. The way that they pull that together and the the visual effects are just are really really strong. Um, it does make up for a lot of the stuff earlier in the film that I, I wasn't that enthused about. And I'll be honest, like I said, I I like the beginning. I enjoyed the, the part of with the the apes like showing their society that they've established and the the sign language and all this stuff. It's definitely slow, but I didn't think it, I didn't find it boring. I thought it was a it was a good way to go. I just the, the getting the between the first fifteen minutes and the last thirty minutes just kind of went back and forth for me. Richard, favorite. Now, like I said earlier, the, the third act was great. Uh, the action sequences are great. 
the creature design was fantastic. Circus was wonderful. Uh, but yeah, that, uh, as far as pros, that's 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 my list there. Uh, my favorite scene in the film, and I saw it coming when Koba sort of scouts out the the two guards and makes him think he's a real ape or just a regular ape. And he returns to the scene later on in a couple of scenes later and just murders them in cold blood. <laughs> I was like, what just happened? That yeah. scared me. That made me almost jump. You know, <laughs> when he pulls out the machine gun and just murders those guys, that, that was the moment where I was like, okay, this is a horror movie. Now <laughs> this sure. just took a really dark turn that I did not see in this film when, when I, uh, when I came into the theater, but crazy, crazy stuff. And once again, that character was will give me nightmares. I mean, <laughs> I can deal with ghouls and ghosts and goblins, and because I know that those are fake. You know, apes are real, <laughs> and the the fact that they're so genetically close to humans is scary. <laughs> and this is bad. I mean, this this anytime I go to the zoo now, I'm going to be pretty that much more creeped out by <laughs> the ape exhibit. So. Let's go on. Let's move on to grades, guys. Uh, Brian, grade. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think I gave Earth to Echo a B plus. It's better than Earth to Echo. It's not as good as like X Men, which I think I gave an A minus. It's kind of to me. It's kind of stuck in the middle between those two. I'll I'll give it a B plus. I'm gonna give it an A minus, yeah, and I agree fair. with you. The fact that it's that X Men is better, but I feel like. First X-Men First Class is only better if you've seen the other X-Men films. If you have never seen X-Men, I don't know if you could enjoy it as much as this. This can be enjoyed by pretty much anyone just for spectacle. Uh, That's so, true. Everybody that I went with, I I told them what happened in the previous couple of movies before we started. Okay. So, yeah, sure. th- to your point, that's that's pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Richard, great. C minus. Oh, pardon me, C plus. C plus is what I meant to say. Okay, well, this was anticipated. We have Guardians coming up in a few weeks. It's also highly uh, anticipated. It's probably the last big summer movie. And we have Hercules in the weeks um, before that. So summer is pretty much over, and it's been good. It's been way better than I thought it would be uh, up to this point. I know we say that a lot uh, this summer, but it really has been a pretty decent summer, and it looks like it's going to be an even better fall. So we got a lot to look forward to, guys. Um, but let's move on. Let's hit a quick Weekly Recommends. Weekly Recommends. Richard, kick us off. Sure, yeah. I'm going to actually recommend a product slash service um, that I've been using for a few months. Um, actually, about a year. A little over a year, actually. Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with... Are you guys familiar with Dollar Shave Club? Yeah. Yeah. So Dollar Shave Club is basically a subscription razor company. And I, I swear I received no endorsement to do this. But uh, it saves you Yet. so much money. Uh, it saves you so much money and you pay six bucks a month or as low as three and I think as much as nine depending on what you what you want for your blades. And they just send you razor blades every month in the mail. There's some really cool add-on products, some cool shave cream, some men's grooming cream, um, some wet wipes for men, which is just so fun. Um <laughs> You know, why should babies have all the fun? And, uh, and uh, no, it really is a cool service. And as, as you guys know, as, as fellow males, nothing is more frustrating than going to buy, like, razors and they're 
$33 and they're like locked behind. Who steals all these razors? You know, like you have to like, get an attendant to like unlock the crate for you so you can just get a thing of Gillette or whatever. Dollar Shave Club. And the razors are fantastic. They come really cool uh, handled razors and the blades are always great and they last forever. So uh, Dollar Shave Club. I believe it's dollarshaveclub.com. Cool. Which would you recommend? I normally use a three blade razor. Yeah, that's what they have like a, I think it's either a three or a four here. Let me, let me I think they have it. a two and a four. They didn't have a three. That's why I was skeptical because I do the three blade razor. Usually four blades is too much and two isn't enough. So that's, let me see what, that's my only hesitation. See, yeah. There's a, there's a Hubble, which is a two, uh, uh the 4X, which is the lover's blade, and they also have the executive, which is six stainless steel blades. Good grief. I would go with the 4. The okay. 4 feels a lot like a 3, because I'm a 3 guy in the past as well. Yeah. And uh, it's 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 really good quality. Great. I will do that. I'm glad and to tr- have your... And try the uh, shave butter. Ooh. You get it. You get you sample it with your first order, but then you, you got to buy it from then on. And I think it's like 3 bucks or something, 4 bucks uh, for a little thing of it. And it is it's delightful. Great. I'm a great looking, name, looking, too. Looking forward to some shave butter. Yeah. Sound like Cosmo Kramer there. For yeah, exactly. So exactly. I'm going to give my recommend. I did a teaser last week. I hope our listeners got a chance to hear the podcast I recommended, but I promised to follow up this week. I'm going to rec- recommend a documentary on Netflix. It's called Exit Through the Gift Shop. I don't know if you guys have seen it, but it's a fantastic documentary about street art, it is directed by a street artist named Banksy, who has become probably the most preeminent street-only artist uh, in the world. He is an anonymous guy. No one knows who he is, really. I mean, there are rumors of who it is, but really kind of weird that he could be so famous and he chooses not to. It's That's, an, that's art in itself. But it, he directed this documentary about this French guy who came out to film him. Uh, doing street art and it ended up becoming about the the French guy himself because he ends up becoming an artist because of it. But the French guy also follows around Shepard Ferry who does obey. He follows him around while he's doing, um, putting up posters and stickers and it's a fascinating documentary. It might've been an Oscar nominated documentary a couple of years ago. Yeah, I think it was, or I can't remember cause the, it's always the weird category that the stuff that should get nominated never does. Yeah. But it did get nominated, yeah. It did? didn't win. It okay. got nominated. It, it deserves the nomination. And mm-hmm. I remember a few years ago, right when it came out, that just everyone was talking about it. It's been on Netflix for a while. It's it's worth checking out. I mean, it's fantastic. It's just a behind-the-scenes look at this sort of rebellious form of art that these guys have, have done. And, I mean, these pieces that they do are worth millions. I mean, people steal Banksy pieces off walls. And, you know, carve them off walls and go sell them in mu- to museums for a million dollars and stuff. So it's it's a fascinating documentary. It's absolutely fantastic. And it's 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. Speaking of Rotten Tomatoes, it is – I mean, it's it's worth every minute you put into it. So quick little watch, not long. Now it's only about 80 minutes long or something like that. But just a fascinating look at the world of – of modern art and a great documentary. If you're not into art, you'll still like it. It's just, it's yeah. really fun. So that's my recommend exit through the gift shop. I couldn't believe I hadn't recommended it before. Cause it's one of my sure. favorite documentaries, but we've done like a hundred of these. So uh, it's about time. So Brian. Yeah. Exit through the gift shops. Really good. Really You've good. Seen it? I like, 
Yeah, I have. Uh, okay. Very, very good film. Really yeah. interesting. Uh, I'd also like to take this opportunity to announce that I am Banksy. So I'll just oh. put that out there. Uh, finally, just going to – You owe me money, by the yeah. way. <laughs> that's the case. No, yeah. <laughs> um, no, my recommend this week is a project. I think I recommended a Kickstarter project at one point or another. I've gotten obsessed with Kickstarter over the last couple of months. It's just such a fascinating thing to me. And I uh, have put in money to a couple of different projects. There was one announced today, and uh, since we've talked so much about baseball, I feel like this is very fitting to to our entire discussion of the day. It's called The Perfect Storm. It is a documentary about the 1994 Montreal Expos, which we've talked about ad nauseum in the past on the show. Richard and I are huge uh, Expos fans. Is probably not the right word, but just kind of like obsessed with the the story and the way all that went down. So mm-hmm. uh, this is being executive produced by Jonah Carey, whose book about the Expos I recommended a couple of months ago. Um, and it's being directed by Sean Menard. They only need $15,000 to put this thing together. It's supposed to be a 30-minute documentary that they're going to try to get on ESPN or MLB TV or something like that. Um, and it looks like it has the right support. So if they get it completed, it will happen. Uh, you will be able to see it. Uh, I donated $25 to the cause. And with that, uh, excuse me, I will, uh, I, I, the, if you donate $25, you get your name in the credits and as well as a copy of the film on in a, co- in a digital format when it gets to release. So, oh. Uh, that's not that's not a bad deal at all, and you can help uh, an independent film get made, which is always kind of cool too. So if you uh, want to go to it's again, it's called the Perfect Storm. It's on Kickstarter, and if we can make it happen, then uh, you'll get to see McGruber in the credits at the end of the show because that's oh. the name I put in for uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for the backing. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, really cool, and and uh, again, I that's think another Wilson's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I thought that was very fitting. Anyway, yeah. uh, check it out, and if you you know if you've got five bucks, that's that's the minimum bit, the uh, minimum uh, contribution that you can make, and you know throw them five bucks. They're they're ten percent of the way to their goal, and they've only been on for a day, so let's let's make it happen. So that sounds awesome. Should I just go ahead and put Dixon Piper when I give my twenty a five dollar <laughs> yeah, pledge? I I think that's fair. Yeah. Kent, you get to be Vicky St. Elmo. <laughs> I was going to go with Dieter Vaughn. <laughs> Fantastic recommends, fellas, as always. Great American treasures as well. And great talking Dawn of the Planet of the Apes with you guys, even though I do agree it should be Rise. Dawn, don't you have to dawn before you rise? I Yeah, yep. probably. There was no dawning in this movie. Just put them rise. both together. Dawn of the Rise. Brian, breaking news. Richard Lewis is a maverick. Continue. Finally. Wow. That's crazy. But, uh, Brian, where can I find your work on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at BGill12, and you can find uh, my writing at CanBabiesDrinkRedBull.com. Richard, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at Richard Barden, B-A-R-D-O-N. Kent, where might I find you? Find me on Twitter at Kent Garrison, and find us on the internet at madaboutmoviespodcast.com. Find all of our episodes on there, our full list of American treasures on there, as well as all of our weekly recommends. And on that note, guys, until next time, we will see you at the cinema. Goodbye. See ya. Bye. Boom. Brass monkey. Death monkey monkey.